Would you go ahead and pray for us? Good morning, Father. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your great love for us, Father God. Your mercy is new every morning, Lord Jesus, and we glorify your name in this place, Father God. Have your way this morning, Father God, and speak to us, Lord Jesus. Help us to be obedient and to believe that you are God and God alone, Father God, that you are the great physician, that you are our Savior, Father God. So we thank you, Father, for who you are. We glorify your name, Father. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Lift it up. We lift it up your name on high, Father God. So we thank you, Father. We worship you. We honor you. We glorify your name, Father. So, Father God, have your way this morning. Speak to us clearly, Father God. Help us to be attentive, Father God. But not only that, Father God, not that we just be hear of the word of God, Father, but that we will be doers of what you have called us to do, Father God, to share the gospel, to be obedient, to go and make disciples, Father God, and to glorify your name on high, Father. So we thank you for today. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord God, that <coughs> Father, that you are faithful and that you are good. And Father, that your love endures forever. God, that you have made a way to be reconciled to you, Father, through your Son, Jesus. That we no longer have to be separated, Father, from you. But that we are restored if we are in Christ to you. We've been engrafted into your kingdom. That we've been adopted. That we belong to you. That we are your people. You are our God. And nothing in this temporal world could ever compare to you. I pray today, Father, that as we open up your word, God, that we would just have a clear picture, a clear understanding of the price that was paid. That we would not treat sin so lightly. That we would have an understanding of how destructive it is. That we wouldn't be a people who just hold a form of religion. A people who have a knowledge, but, Father, no truth being lived out. Denying your power. We don't want to be people like that, Father. Pray that we would be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A people who have been born again of the Spirit. Walking in the new nature. In Christ. I pray that blind eyes, eyes would be open and deaf ears would hear this morning, God. That we would awake from our slumber. And that we would come, Father, to the throne room of grace and of mercy that is extended to us through Christ and in Christ alone. It's not by works. It's only through Christ. Oh, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. And I'm praying for us that we truly grasp the fullness and the understanding of this verse. <laughs> that we wouldn't just be a religious people. That we wouldn't just claim the name of Christ and then just trample on his blood as if it's common, as if it means nothing. You see, what Jesus did, what he accomplished, he finished everything that was needed to reconcile sinful man 
to God. Through his death, through his resurrection, he has defeated sin and death. And these just can't be words. And, I, and I've shared this over the past month. It's the saddest thing to think that there's going to be people in hell that will have the gospel on their lips. <laughs> that they would have a knowledge. <laughs> but that's about as far as it goes. There's truly been no transformation. They had a form of religion, but they were not in relationship. How sad. They will all talk, but no power. And if you're finding yourself here today in that situation, don't beat yourself up. You really just need to get over yourself. I shared with you all before, the sad thing is, is we are lovers of self. If we're not loving God, we're loving ourselves. And your affections are not to be set on you. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then yes, love yourself, the wholeness of yourself, and everything that yourself wants. You have a right to that. You have a right to that. And the church doesn't judge you. Because that's how you choose to live. We will continue as the church to call you to repentance. But you're not our enemy. We were once where you were. And that's why we are moved to tell the truth of who Jesus is. We all come. Before Christ, we're all, we're all born into sin. Uh, that's our nature. That's just human nature. We all crave and desire something. We're living for self. Think about it. Look at the world around you. Look at your own life. Your anger issues. <laughs> Your addictions, your gossiping, your backbiting, your insecurities, all the junk that just makes you self. Your desires, your wants, your gender confusion, <laughs> your sexual desires. You see, no one is any greater of a worse person than the rest. We're all on the same plane, level field. Your desires are no worse than my desires. My desires are no worse than your desires. And what we all have in common, and not just having these desires that are just led by self, is that we all need a Savior. Because the continued way that we will go in and of ourselves only leads to destruction. This world is fading away. And isn't it crazy that we put our hope and our, and our trust and our desires in temporal things that are fading away, that feel good for the moment, but in the end, what comes of it? 
So we're all born sinners. We all need a Savior because we're all going to die. And you're going to have to give an account to the way in which you've lived. To a holy God. And then people say, well, I don't believe in the holy God. Well, you have a right to say that you don't believe or you want to make him a her or her a he it or it a, a what. <laughs> Changing however you want. <laughs> but as Christians, we believe he's God. He's holy. And everyone's going to have to give an account to him. But he's made a way, you all. For us not to have to live enslaved for the rest of our lives on this earth. And we don't have to live in fear of judgment. Why do you think man or mankind creates all these religions? Why do you think all there's so many religions in the world? Because no matter who you are, where you're born, there's something inside you that knows you're going to be judged. So mankind searches for a way out. For a way out. You see, you don't have some you don't need to have someone tell you you're doing bad. In and of yourself, you know I'm bad. My actions of how I just treated that person was not right. But it doesn't matter, because what they did to me, and so you turn it all around to self. It's all about you, me, myself, and I. The sad thing is is that God has displayed His love throughout creation. There's no greater love than Jesus, you all. There's no greater love than Jesus, the one who came and willingly laid His life down for you. Like He took upon your sin, your punishment, so that you could live. And yet he's hated. Remember, your flesh, the world, and the enemy can't stand that truth. Can't stand it. Someone who heard the majority of his life how much God hated me when you have the revelation truly how much he loves you. Even in the truth of the fact that I was in complete rebellion towards him and I would have to stand in judgment and I ran many years trying to run from and flee from judgment when all along he was calling me to himself. Where are you running? It is only through me that you can find salvation, that you are secured. It is only through Christ that only you, you will find salvation and security. It's only in Christ. And that's the Christian message. But it's just not a lot of words. 
How horrible would it be if I stood up here declaring the goodness of God, the salvation found in Christ, and then you saw me when I went downstairs cursing, treating people like crap, vile and wretched, gossiping, backbiting, drunken, adulterer, filled with anger and just burning with lust, you would be like, well, it was a good lunch. <laughs> I mean, what, what's the purpose? Well, he just came to eat because whatever he's preaching doesn't really, hasn't impacted his life, so if it hasn't impacted his life, how's it going to impact my life? What's the truth behind it? Where's the power? It's just all words. So think of your life, you all. You showed up here for a reason today. Maybe it was just for Gilda's cooking. But you're hearing the living word. And you've heard the living word over and over for years. Is it just words? Or is there truly power? And if there's not power, you're not a Christian. And you say, oh, I don't believe that. And I say, well, open up your word. Because if you're professing to be a Christian and you're willfully choosing to continue to sin, you're not a Christian. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Like, see, Jesus isn't num numero uno for you in your life. He's put to the side. And I'll get you when I need you, Jesus. <laughs> but I'm doing me right now. You see, that's not how a Christian lives. You will never see it. No matter how you want to structure your religion and your faith. Well, I pray. I prayed today. I got my little saints out and my statues out. <laughs> I anointed myself and them with oil. I kept the Sabbath. I didn't eat pork. I did this and I did that. I stayed away from what is bad. Oh, I'm trying so hard to be good. Oh, I'm so I'm trying so and we make it about ourselves. We make it about religion. And somehow we think we're safe. And yet we keep going about the way that we go and we go and we go and we go. And don't you know anything? Because the devil's got you deceived. That's why I keep challenging you this year. Don't let the devil teach you theology. Don't let the devil be the one telling you about Jesus. Because he's going to give you a counterfeit Jesus. A Jesus that makes you right within your sinful habits. Well, he understands my weaknesses. Oh, you just don't know what I have to go through. Oh, I know what you're about to go through. Because when you stand before him, he's going to look at you and say, I don't know you. You're a worker of iniquity. You're a worker of sin. Depart from me. And for what reason? Because the touch of another felt better than your spouse? Because you just had to get the words out? Because you have no self-control in your life. You just do whatever you want. 
and then he just slapped Jesus on it. And we're making a mockery of him. We're making a mockery. Like we have got to wake up. And as we started this new series on Friday nights, Awaken, and I posted the first session, each of you should be here Friday night. I don't know what keeps you. I don't know what else out there keeps you from wanting to grow in Christ. You should be here on Wednesdays or Skyping in, doing whatever it takes to say, God, oh, I need more of you. I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to be learned from the devil on who you are. I need to understand the consequences of sin. I need to understand the fullness of your resurrection power that has defeated sin and death. I don't want to be marching all along straight on the path to hell, saying your name and not knowing you. You see, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. And as we think about awakenings, as you look and you, if you ever study um, spiritual awakenings that have happened throughout the generations, God moves and awakens people to their need for Jesus. It's all about Jesus, you all. Jesus. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You either love him or you don't. There's no in-between. And you can be angry at him. You can say, oh, I'm angry at God. Well, you realize that self keeping you from a loving God. That self telling you that you have a right and that you have all these accusations against God. And what has God done? <laughs> but made a way for you to be restored to Him. So that you will be with Him for eternity. That you will turn from your wicked ways and you will turn to live as unto righteousness in Christ. You see, if a tornado was spinning out there, if a hurricane was just blowing out there, you wouldn't stand in the middle of the storm. That would truly display your ignorance. Look, you run into safety. You go into a building. You go somewhere to get out of the elements. So if you're living in this temporal world... <clears throat> Standing outside of Christ in the midst of chaos, being led by your desires, just giving in to everything and anything, you're ignorant. <laughs> because you've heard the truth. Why aren't you running into safety? <laughs> Why aren't you getting into Christ? Like, Jesus, there's nowhere else I want to be but in you. And we have to have real conversations about this. We have to give thought to this. Are you just holding a form of religion and denying his power? Because that is not 
how you are to be living. Not if you're calling yourself a Christian. The world, again, can live however they want. (laughs) And we will love them and we will serve them. (laughs) And we will live set apart from them while among them. (laughs) And we will look weird to them because we're not going their way. We're trusting in Jesus, you all. We have the hope to offer people. Are you offering it to people? If I went around the room and I called out each of your name and I said, how many people did you share the gospel with this week? I won't do that because I think my heart would be broken. And then my second question is, do they know that as you shared with them, do they see the power in your life? Are you just a lot of talk? Because they should see both. They should hear the desperate cry to them to come to Christ, to be set free. And when they see you again, they should see the same consistency. And if you did slip up and fall or whatever, they should see the quickness of repentance in your life, not excuses for why you keep going your way. (coughs) Let me tell you something. We are in a great war. And I've shared it over the past month with you. There is a war for your soul. And not just your soul, but your loved ones. And you should not be in agreement with the enemy to destroy your loved ones. God, we need to wake up. Do we not see what's happening? Is your spiritual eyes closed? Do you not see what's happening? Take a good look around you. Take a good look. I don't find it funny. I'm disgusted by what I hear going on in the majority of y'all's lives. And then I'm supposed to just get up here and be like, ah, ha, ha, Jesus, Jesus, and then just send you on your way to continue down the path that you're going. And you representing True Freedom Fellowship. The devil is a liar. Because where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in your life? Where's Jesus in your homes? Where's Jesus in your hearts? No, just preach us a good message. Make us feel better. Let us just keep getting up and down, left and right, in and out. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Because we're going to go right back and do the same thing we did before we walked in the door. Well, isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? And you know the first person that you're going to call? When you're about to take your last breath? Come pray for me. Oh, come counsel me. Oh, come Rob. For what? For what? Why keep sitting down, spending my time going over the same thing you've heard over the same amount of years and nothing be done? And he 
relationship, you want to come and tell me how God is moving in your life and how God is speaking and how God is calling you to this and God is calling you to that. Well, I find it finding, I find it interesting that he doesn't call you to repentance. And yet he's calling you to all these other seasons. <laughs> oh, we've got to wake up. Look around. The youth act like the grown-ups. What's allowed will continue. What's allowed will continue. There's no structure. There's just strange codependencies. It's just the flesh. Well, if you only this... Well, what do you mean, well? You act like it's brand new today. And it's been going on for years. Well, we'll try. Well, yes, all this. We make the most excuses and excuses and excuses. Where's your devotional time? How can you be in the Word? How can you be in prayer? Oh, I'm in prayer. I'm in Word. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm writing this. I'm writing that. I'm saying this. I'm saying that. But there's no repentance in your life. There's no grieving of sin in your heart. Like, oh God, that's disgusting. Like, oh Jesus, conform me to be more like you. When's the last time you cried that out? When's the last time you sat down with your children, your grandchildren, you structured your home as a place of holiness? <laughs> but sin is mastering you and your home. But we're Christians. We're Christians. Listen, we got to wake up, you all. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, be a Christian in Christ. Be a Christian. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. And you say, but I can't. And you're right. You can't, but he can in you. So get out of the way. That's how easy it is. Jesus says, abide in me. Come to me. Turn from your evil ways and put your faith and your trust in me. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and it doesn't stop there and that he was resurrected. Do you understand what it means to believe in a God who was resurrected? Or as we look forward to Easter, is it just a knowledge? Oh, listen, when you grasp the fullness that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and in rising from the dead, he defeated sin and death, he exposed the enemy, he is victorious. He is ruling and reigning. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has poured out the Holy Spirit 
so that you can be about the Father's business in a dark world burning bright with the glorious good news of the risen Christ so that the captives would be set free. That's a Christian. Not a perfect person, but an obedient person to their master. See, you have to get to a place where you say, not my life any longer. Not my life any longer. Not my life any longer. God, it's yours. And so I've got to know you more. If you're lacking, ask. Seek for wisdom. Knock. Keep asking. Just get over yourself. You can't blame the enemy. You can't blame the the world. You can't blame anyone else. It is you who is in the way. It's you. When I finally got to the place, because I went after making the first declaration, it took me almost a year and a half, almost two years, before I finally really surrendered. I understood what I was declaring. And some of you... have been declaring for many years and you have no understanding. It's time to get understanding, you all. It's time to get understanding. It's time to get up from where we've been and move into what God has for us. Where have you been this week? What's your thoughts been? Who you've been with that you shouldn't be with? How's your homes? How's your heart? Because everything around you is revealing the condition of your heart. Don't be fooled. You want to know where you're at? You want to know if you're loving Jesus? You want to know if you're someone who is really living out the power of God? Not just holding a knowledge, just not a lot of words? (laughs) Look at your heart. Look at what's around you. Look what you keep going back to and who you keep going back to. Oh, there has to be change. Because could you imagine, could you imagine if you got up from this place today and you said, God, I'm serious. Here I am. God, I surrender. I don't want to keep going the way I'm going. I don't want to keep doing me. Oh, God, Jesus, I need you. You are the son of God. You are the resurrected one. Oh, God, forgive me. (laughs) And you're restored. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Everything was back there, doesn't even define you anymore. That's the power of Christ in you. And you get up from this place, and you walk downstairs, you have fellowship with people, you walk out that door, you're living different, and those people who are used to you being foul mouth, acting a fool, running amok, living however you want, they're going to say, what is wrong with you? <coughs> and you're going to say... I belong to Jesus. You can live however you want. You can do whatever you want. But I can't partake of it anymore. I will not sit at that table of destruction with you any longer. I refuse to take another step towards my eternity apart from Christ. Not when I know 
the payment that was paid for me. And you say, it's that simple? Yes, you don't need 12 steps. You don't need 30 days of counseling. <laughs> you just need to get up and believe. And say, I'm not, go oh, I'm not touching that. That doesn't please God. Nope, oh, you're not speaking that because that doesn't please God. It's not edifying. It's not building up. No, 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 no. I'm not going to allow you to continue to run rampant in my mind. Because those thoughts are contrary, are opposite to God's truth. Oh, you got to just start applying and watch the power of Christ work in and through you. And then you come for accountability. You come to, to not just take from the church, but to participate in the building up of the saints. To go through life with each other. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And then people take notice and go, well, that's a strange group of people. What is it about them? That's how people should be looking in at the church. God himself established the church on this earth. For his purpose, you all. Let us not forget. It's not about you and your works and what you can do and what you are accomplishing all for the kingdom of God. And it's all about you. And look what I'm doing. And look what I'm doing. Or the other side. Oh, I'm just a, I'm just a bad Christian. I just can't do anything. No, it, it, both extremes are looking at self. Don't you see how yourself is going to manipulate you? You're doing it to yourself. Yourself would never crave the things of God. So as God is awakening men and women and boys and girls throughout this earth, they look up. Jesus. Do y'all realize that Jesus is revealing himself to people in dreams? To Muslims. Who they know good and well when they confess Jesus, they'll die. We have other people throughout the earth who when they have revelations of Christ, when the good news is preached to them and they feel the weight of their sin and they go, oh, I need you, Jesus. And they say, forgive me, Jesus. I believe in you. And at that moment, they become an enemy to the government. And here we are in the West. Where everyone's a Christian. Every group out there is slapping Christian. I just read an article this morning. In Massachusetts, I believe, yes. They're going to have the first conference. Get ready. For Christian witches. What on earth? Oh, and all these prophetic people are flocking. 
and all these witches are gathering with Jesus on their lips, with the Holy Scripture in their hands, quoting Scripture, but on their way to hell. And everyone's excited about this. Don't be deceived, you all. <laughs> Just because one calls themselves a Christian, but if they're still living for themselves, remember, they're not a Christian. They're a sinner. And again, we don't hate them. We pray for them. And God have mercy. To be that passionate, to, to have that much zeal about Jesus, but be deceived and have a false Christ that they're preaching. The devil is working overtime, you all. Teaching theology to people. And they're believing they're saved. <coughs> they're believing they're saved, you all. And they have no understanding of how destructive sin is. And the payment that has been paid for their freedom in Christ. So as we open up the book of Leviticus this morning, we're going to go through two chapters, chapters 4 and 5. And remember, this book that we're walking through, the encouragement that we're getting from it is we're seeing God's holiness. Remember, God has set apart these people for His purpose and His plan to bring the Messiah through but also to make him known that the other nations would have an understanding of who God is and that his people will have an understanding of what it means to be set apart, to live among the other nations but not give in to the other nations. We, as we read through the Old Testament, we, how we see the Israelites when they turn from God, where do they go to? To the gods of the other nations. To, they, they turn to the desires that are within them that are drawing them to these other nations. And they forget who God is. That's what sin does. And so right away, after their deliverance, after all those years in slavery, they are now a free people. And God himself is moving among them. They've built this tabernacle. He's instituting these, the, the, the worship, the sacrifices, the offerings that are needed to deal with the sin. See, if God takes sin seriously, then why aren't we? Why aren't we? I can't even imagine having to do all of these rituals that they did. Slaughtering all those animals, all that blood everywhere. But what I really can't comprehend is the way Jesus' body was brutally ripped, beaten, to shreds. How he had to carry his own cross how he had to have that crown of thorns jammed down on his head. How he was mocked, laughed at, spit upon, 
smacked, beaten, and nailed to a cross. And for what reason? Because he came and he was telling people about the hope that is found in God. Turn to God. Repent of your sins. And they wanted him out of the way. He was disrupting man's religion. How sad. His blood poured out for all. That's how serious God takes sin. I wanted to read before we get into those chapters this commentary from Charles Spurgeon. I want you to pay really close attention to these words before we open up those scriptures. Our presumptuous sins were laid upon Christ. Our willful sins and our sins of light and knowledge are pardoned by his blood. It is not sin as we see it that was laid on Christ, but sin as God sees it. Not sin as our conscience feebly reveals it to us, but sin as God beholds it in its unmitigated malignity and unconcealed loathsomeness. Sin is exceedingly exceeding sinfulness. Jesus has put it away. But when we perceive sin, then we are to trust the blood. Listen to this, not when we perceive holiness in ourselves and goodness and virtue, but when we perceive sin and iniquity and defilement, then we are to lay our hand on the head of the great atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the sinner's Savior. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, It is not written, if anyone is holy, he has an advocate. In all our sin and iniquity, blackness and defilement, when overwhelmed with our own vileness, we may still come to Christ and believe that our most horrible and detestable sins were laid on him. And over and above that, those sins which we do not feel, which may be even more detestable, even these... And what is more, the sinfulness of our not nature of it of our own nature itself, the black and polluted font from which the streams of our trespasses take their rise, the guilt of all actual and original sin was laid on Jesus and by him forever put away. And you say, Well, I don't understand that. That went over my head. <laughs> and I would say this. It's that sin is how God sees it, not how man sees it. And sin, every kind of sin, was laid upon Jesus for him to defeat it. It's not you trying to be good that defeats sin. You will exhaust yourself and trying to do what is right If I just do this, if I just do this, if I don't think this way, if I just do this, you're going to exhaust yourself and you're going to fall. 
time and time and time and time again. It is not until you come to a place of surrender that all I know to do is to sin. But God, you freely gave your son for me. And in this knowledge, I'm putting my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the resurrected Christ. And in him, I am forgiven. First John says, I write to you that you will not sin, but if you do, Remember your advocate. So many times what happens is Christians sin and then instead of looking at Christ, they stay enslaved to self. And they try all the good works and they try to hide it so that no one else would know. And yet they're filled with such terror and guilt and shame. And yet Jesus all along is there saying, will you just turn to me? I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what you've done. Just give it to me because I've already overcame it. Trust in me. Believe in me, he says. We should be horrified. For indeed, sin is a thing to shudder at. And the death of Jesus is not a matter to be treated lightly. It was God's intent to awaken in people a great disgust of sin by making them see that it could only be put away by suffering and death. In the tabernacle, in the wilderness, almost everything was sanctified by blood. The blood was to be seen everywhere. As soon as you entered the outer court, you saw the great bronze altar, and at the base of it, bowls of blood were constantly being poured out. When you passed the first veil and entered into the holy place, you saw a priest who was spattered head to foot with blood, his snow-white robes bringing the crimson spots most vividly before your eyes. If you looked around, you saw the horns of the golden altar of incense smeared with blood, and the gorgeous veil that hid the innermost sanctuary was splattered with the same. The holy tent was by no means a place for sentimentalists. You see, its teachings dealt with the terrible realities in a boldly impressive manner. Its ritual was not constructed to gratify the taste, but to impress the mind. It was not a place for daintly gentlemen, but for broken-hearted sinners. Everywhere, the ignorant eye would see something to displease, but the troubled conscience would read lessons of peace and pardon. Oh, that my words would cause triflers with sins to be shocked, at that abominable thing. I would have them filled with horror of that detestable thing which cannot be put away except by that which infinitely more calculated to shock the instructed mind than rivers of the blood of bulls and of goats. I mean the sacrifice of God's own Son whose soul was made as an offering for sin. So as we open up these chapters, that's all you're going to see is blood everywhere. Everywhere. Do we get it? 
even back then, God was revealing to mankind, to the creation that he created in his image, there has to be a death and blood to cover sins. You will be pardoned freely. And remember, if they were just bringing these bulls and these animals, like, that's just what we do, it meant nothing. So he instructed them, put your hand on the head. And you realize that that animal is taking your place because that should be you. Under my wrath. Under, because you're in rebellion towards me. But I'm laying all of these out because I want to be a, the God that you know as a God who forgives. You see, the creation is not meant to endure his wrath. Like the created man, created woman, is not meant to endure the wrath of God. But unfortunately, those who do not turn to Jesus will endure his wrath. And that'll be your choice. But that's why I always tell you all, why would you choose his wrath over his love? Such great love that Jesus understood the consequences of sin. And he said, I'll go. Like no one else is going to do that for you all. Like Jesus loves you so much he came and he laid his life down. He took it all for you. And you give him nothing. You stomp on his blood and make it common as if it was nothing. Ah, do it, live however I want. But don't call yourself a Christian if you're living that way. Because that's not how Christians live. We have an understanding of the sacrifice that was paid in each and every single day. We get up clothing ourselves with Christ with the knowledge of our Savior. And when we fall, if you fall, if you sin, repent. Just get right back up. Because He forgives. And He restores. That's how great our God is. And we should celebrate Him every single day. We should be living in for Him and loving Him every single day. Do you understand how weird it looks for people I mean, when I, was, when I was outside the church and I hated Jesus and I hated Christians, the, the reason why, what drew, kept me away from God, not only because I was told since a kid that God hated me, I mean, that was one reason, but the other reason was that I saw people, people in my family, people that I knew who called themselves Christians, and they didn't live like a Christian. I heard the teachings of Christ when I was dragged to church. But I saw those teachings never lived out in the majority of the people that I knew. Except one person. This pastor. Pastor Hicks. And even when I was a young boy, and I had been out of the church, away from the church, wounded and hurt by the church, Looking at Christians as if there was no power in their lives. I don't want that, God. There's no power. 
But you know who I turn to? When my ex-wife and I, when we were 15, 16 years old, found out that she was pregnant to Pastor Hicks. What do I do? What do we do? And he counseled us. I'll marry you all. Unfortunately, I can't do it in the church. But I'll come wherever you want me to go. And this man was pouring out. And you remember, he remembered me as a little boy. As soon as I walked into his office, he knew exactly who I was. And then I think it was almost a, a few months after our wedding ceremony that my niece's dad was killed tragically and my family was turned into turmoil. And there was no spiritual advisor anywhere. Who did I call? Pastor X. And my mom, who was so wounded by the church, for him to come and sit at the table with her, I was like, hey, there's something different about that man. And just when there seemed to be almost an opening for me to the things of God, I ended up at the house. the very one I gave myself to. This man who befriended me, a 16-year-old boy, started doing drugs, started having sex, all those desires from such a young age, four or five years old, believing I was gay, there was something wrong with me. Being molested at a young age. <laughs> Carrying on, keeping it all in. That night, I didn't call Pastor Hicks. Probably should have, but I chose not to. Because I just wanted to finally be free and live however I wanted to live. I didn't care that I was going to hurt my wife. I didn't care that I was going to hurt my daughter. I didn't care what I was going to end up doing to anybody. Because sin had such a pull on me. And I lived enslaved to it for 20 some odd years. And it wasn't until I was on the couch ready to take my life that Jesus stepped in, stood in, said, Today you'll live. And you say, Well, I've heard this before. And I would say, Well, when are you going to hear that today you'll live? 
When are you going to see the effects of sin in your life and in your family's life and the life of people that you love and you care about are killing you and killing them? How much blood? These people were seeing the blood everywhere. You've heard about the crucifixion of Jesus. You've probably seen a picture of it. You've probably watched the Passion. You have an imagery of what he possibly endured, and yet you live your life enslaved to sin as if it means nothing. I wasn't looking for Jesus. In and of yourself, you wouldn't be looking for Jesus. He, you don't begin this work in you. He does. He reveals himself to you. God is pleased for you to see Christ as the payment for your sins. <laughs> How are you responding? Charles Spurgeon goes on, This text reminds me that if a common person sins, his sins will ruin him. He may not be able to do as much mischief by his sin as the ruler or public officer, but his sin has all the essence of evil in it, and God will reckon with him for it. No matter how obscurely we may live, however poor or uneducated we may be, our sin will ruin us if not pardoned and put away. Nothing will cleanse us but the blood of Jesus Christ. I may be unknown to people, but I'm not unknown to him. I may be merely one of many, but still his fault is towards me. As each blade of grass has its own drop of dew, so each guilty soul coming to Christ will find atonement for itself in Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then finally, ignorance of the law among those who dwelt in the camp of Israel was essentially sinful. The Israelite had no business to be ignorant. The law was plain and within his reach. If he neglected to study the statute, his breach of the statute could not be excused by his neglect. Willful ignorance of the Lord's will is in itself sin, and the sin which comes of it is grievous in the sight of the Lord our God. Nevertheless, the solemn declaration of the text concerning the guilt of sins of ignorance need not deprive us of despair, for a sacrifice is permitted for it. The offender, on discovering his error, might bring his offering and pay the trespass money for any damage he had caused by his action. And there was a promise given in connection with the atoning sacrifice that was, no doubt, often realized by the contrite heart. He will be forgiven. May the Lord make us rejoice in the truth of God that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we read these chapters... you to think about what you heard kind of the theme of that commentary that the sin was put away with the individual was pardoned you're no longer guilty as it was for them so it now is in Christ when you come to Christ when you ask for forgiveness no matter where you're at or what you've done 
He forgives. He pardons. That's the good news, you all. He restores. So Leviticus chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. This is how you are to deal with those who sin unintentionally by doing anything that violates one of the Lord's commands. If the high priest sins, bringing guilt upon the entire community, he must get a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He must present to the Lord a young bull with no defects. He must bring the bull to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle, lay his hand on the bull's head, and slaughter it before the Lord. The high priest will then take some of the bull's blood into the tabernacle, dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the inner curtain of the sanctuary. The priest will then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar for fragrant incense that stands in the Lord's presence inside the tabernacle. He will pour out the rest of the bull's blood at the base of the altar for burnt offerings at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then the priest must remove all the fat of the bull to be offered as a sin offering. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. He must remove these along with the kidneys, just as he does with cattle offered as a peace offering, and burn them on the altar of burnt offerings. But he must take whatever is left of the bull, its hide, meat, head, legs, eternal, internal organs and dung and carry it away to a place outside the camp that is ceremonially clean, the place where the ashes are dumped. There on the ash heap he will burn it on a wood of fire. The, if the entire Israelite community sins by violating one of the Lord's commands, but the people don't realize it, they are still guilty. When they become aware of their sin, the people must bring a young bull as an offering for their sin and present it before the tabernacle. The elders of the community must then lay their hands on the bull's head and slaughter it before the Lord. The high priest will then take some of the bull's blood into the tabernacle, dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the inner curtain. He will then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar for the fragrant incense that stands in the Lord's presence inside the tabernacle. He will pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar for burnt offerings at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then the priest must remove all the animal's fat and burn it on the altar, just as he does with the bull offered as a sin offering for the high priest. Through this process, the priests will purify the people, look at this, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. Then the priests must take what is left of the bull and carry it outside the camp and burn it there, just as is done with the sin offering for the high priest. This offering is for the sin of the entire congregation of Israel. If one of Israel's leaders sins by violating one of the commands of the Lord, his God, but doesn't realize it, he is still guilty. When he becomes aware of his sin, he must bring as in his offering a male goat with no defects. He must lay his hand on the goat's head and slaughter it at the place where burnt offerings are slaughtered before the Lord. This is an offering for his sin. 
Then the priest will dip his finger in the blood of the, of the sin offering and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. He will pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Then he must burn all the goat's fat on the altar, just as he does with the peace offering. Through this process, the priest will purify the leaders from his sins. Look at this. Making him right with the Lord, and he will be forgiven. If any of the common people sin by violating one of the Lord's commands, but they don't realize it, they are still guilty. When they become aware of their sin, they must bring an offering for their sin. A female goat with no defects. They must lay a hand, they must lay a hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place where the burnt offerings are slaughtered. Then the priest will dip his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. He will pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Then he must remove all the goat's fat, just as he does with the fat of the peace offering. He will burn the fat on the altar, and it will be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Through this process, the priest will purify the people, look at this, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. If the people bring a sheep as their sin offering, it must be a female with no defects. They must lay a hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place where burnt offerings are slaughtered. Then the priest will dip his finger in the blood of the sin offering and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. He will pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Then he, then he must remove all the sheep's fat just as he does for the fat of the sheep presented at the peace offering. He will burn the fat on the altar on top of the special gifts presented to the Lord. Through this process, the priest will purify the people from their sin, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. Chapter 5. If you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify, and you will be punished for your sin. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean, such as the carcass of an unclean animal. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. This is true whether it is a wild animal, a domestic animal, or an animal that scurries along the ground. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that makes a person unclean. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your guilt. Or suppose you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether its purpose is for good or for bad, when you realize its foolishness, you must admit your guilt. When you become aware of your guilt in any of these ways, you must confess your sins. Then you must bring to the Lord as a penalty for your sin a female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. This is a sin offering with which the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord. But if you cannot afford to bring a sheep, you, you may bring to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons as a penalty for your sin. One of the birds will be for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. You must bring them to the priest who will present the first bird as a sin offering. He will wring its neck, but without severing its head from the body. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering against the sides of the altar, and the rest of the blood will be drained out at the base of the altar. This is an offering for sin. The priest will then prepare the second bird as a burnt offering following all the procedures that have been prescribed. Through this process, the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. 
If you cannot afford to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, you may bring two quarts of choice flour for your sin offering. Since it is an offering for sin, you must not moisten it with olive oil or put any frankincense on it. Take the flour to the priest, who will scoop out a handful of it as a representative portion. He will burn it on the altar on top of the special gifts presented to the Lord. It is an offering for sin. Through this process, the priest will purify those who are guilty of any of these sins, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. The rest of the flour belong, will belong to the priest, just as with the grain offering. Then the Lord said to Moses, If one of you commits a sin by unintentionally defiling the Lord's sacred property, you must bring a guilt offering to the Lord. The offering must be your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one at equal value with silver as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. And you must make restitution for the sacred property you have harmed by paying for the loss plus an additional 20%. When you give the payment to the priest, he will purify you with the ram's sacrifice as a guilt offering, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. Suppose your sin, suppose you sin by violating one of the Lord's commands. Even if you are unaware of what you have done, you are guilty and will be punished for your sin. For a guilt offering, you must bring to the priest your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one of equal value. Through this process, the priest will purify you from your unintentional sin, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. This is a guilt offering for you. Have been guilty of an offense against the Lord. And you go, oh, that's a lot. But you see how disgusting it is. So much blood everywhere. These animals had to be sacrificed. Blood had to be spilt. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Do you remember Genesis? And as soon as they sinned, and do you remember what happened? You see, Eve was looking upon what she shouldn't have been looking upon, and the enemy came and said, Did God really say... Because God knows if you do this, you're going to become like God. Right away. She bit. And then she gave it to her husband, who should have been man enough to stand up and lead his wife to the Lord. But instead, he gave in to her. And they fell. And now all of a sudden, hey, we're naked. All of a sudden, they realize, oh, shame. All of a sudden, oh, there's something wrong with us. And then God calls to them. Where are you? And listen, he knew where they were. There's something about God calling us out. That we have to give an account for where we've been. I mean, they had it. They had the deal of the deal, you all. They walked with God. They had this lush garden. I mean, it was beautiful. And then they say, we're hiding from you because we're naked. And he says, who told you you were naked? 
Let's just get it all out in the open. God, that's how God works with us. And do you remember what happened? Animals were slaughtered in order for them to be covered with them, with their fur and their skin, so they wouldn't be naked anymore. See, even in the beginning, you have an understanding of what sin does and the payment that needs to be paid. Even in the beginning, God tells the serpent, the enemy, like there's going to come one who's going to crush your head. And he was speaking of Jesus. You see, listen, y'all, Jesus is just not this, this mystical, weird character in a book. Like, he's real, you all. He's real. He's God. And he came to this earth, took the form of man, and knew his purpose was the cross. See, everything that we just read here that the priest was doing was foreshadowing the ultimate priest, the greatest high priest, Jesus. Because it's only through him that you can be pardoned and forgiven. That you can be made right with God. Not because of anything that you can do, but all because of Jesus. And that's why you freely give your life to him. And say, God, not my will any longer. I'm going to live for you. Like I'm putting my hope and my trust in you. I'm not going to give in to my desires Listen, some of you are sitting here with confusion and desires and things going on in your life that are ruling you and controlling you. And that's what sin does. But Jesus can transform you by changing the way you think, by making you right with God and learning how to live this newness of life because he says you must be born again. He can't put us back up in our mama to come out again. We're not talking about a physical birth because physical birth brings forth life into sin. It's a rebellious nature against God. But the spiritual birth happens when one sees their need. They see sin for what it is and they go, Oh, God, it's disgusting. Forgive me. And then Jesus says, you're forgiven. Get up, my child, and walk according to my ways, according to my purpose. Learn of me. Trust in me. And be about my business while you're on this earth declaring the good news so that the captives would go free. I didn't believe it, you all. <laughs> How are you going to change me, God? <laughs> When I had so much hatred against you, when I have been so enslaved to, to every form of sex and drugs and just craziness that's out there, when my mind was enslaved to such darkness and murder and strife and just craziness, <laughs> and God says, Stop looking at your sin as if it's greater than me. I've already overcame it. It's defeated. Just call me daddy now. 
and I've got you, my son. And so he says the same to everyone that's out there that would hear and respond. What now, God? <coughs> and Jesus says, just bow down. Just say you're sorry. Just recognize the sin. Because until you recognize your sin, you won't understand the truth of freedom. When we keep making excuses for our desires and our sins, we don't understand the fullness of his freedom. Until you understand that draw and that pull that keeps pulling you just to live for self and to do for self, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. It's a sin offering. It's in Christ. God, you paid it in full that I may be pardoned and freed. Go to Matthew. I mean, Mark, I mean, chapter 2. Oh, let's look at our Savior. If you're a Christian, let's look at Him. If you're not a Christian, well, take a look at Jesus and become a Christian. Trust in Him. Look how He handles things. Mark, chapter 2, verse 13. And we're going to read through chapter 3, verse 6. Remember, the religious people hate Jesus. These priests who are supposedly be doing the work of God hates Jesus. They don't want Jesus around. You're interfering with us, Jesus. And Jesus is about his father's business. He's going throughout the towns. And you know who he's gathering to himself? Sinners. Sinners. People who are living openly in their sin. He knows they need a Savior. That's why He goes among them. That's why He sends us among them. To testify of God's <laughs> redeeming love. He didn't come for those who think they're saved. <laughs> who live a religious life, they don't see their need for a Savior. No, He came for the lost. He wanted the captives to be set free. Because let me tell you something, as I said earlier, when people see transformation in your life, when they see that you don't keep running afoul, they're going to take notice, what's different about you? And you, Jesus, because you know where I would be if I was living. <laughs> but I reckon myself dead. I have hope in Christ. Jesus delivered me. He has set my feet upon the path of righteousness for His name's sake. And as He did it for me, He'll do it for you. Walk in freedom. Come on. Why aren't Christians excited about Jesus? <laughs> what are y'all doing out there? Whose life are you impacting with the gospel? Look, Jesus, Jesus is walking on the street. There's Levi, who we would know as Matthew. He's a tax collector. And the Jews hated tax collectors. They were Jewish people who were working with the Romans. They're oppressors. 
And so you were the least of the least to the Jews. They hated you. But Jesus is walking. Then Jesus, verse 13, went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him, look at this. So Levi got up and followed him. That's huge, you all. Don't take it for granted. Oh, I just read that word. What is that? No, no, no. That's huge. He didn't sit there or question. No, he got up. He must have heard of this teacher. Because right now, he doesn't understand the fullness of who Jesus is. But there's something different about this teacher. Because everyone's talking about Jesus, remember. Everyone wants to be around Jesus. He's the new popular man on scene. He has such authority and such powers. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. Of course you want to be around him. And Jesus is walking through and he sees him and he says, Come, follow me. And back then, in that, in that custom, if a rabbi called you to be his disciple, that was a huge, huge opportunity. And like I told you before, when that can you can you come here real quick? Norman, hurry, hurry, hurry. Oh, you bet. <laughs> I thought you said Yvette. Yvette's Jesus. She just called me. Walk, Yvette. That's how disciples move. With their teacher, with their rabbi. They wanted to hear everything they were teaching. They wanted to hear everything. So they were close, constantly. They didn't want to miss a beat. I want to hear everything you have to say to me. I want to know how I'm to live, what I'm to do. Matthew was just called. He was a tax collector. Wait a minute. Why didn't Jesus call one of the priests? Why didn't Jesus call one of the religious people who looked good? Because they were enslaved to themselves, you all. Just because someone goes to church, just because someone is a pastor, just because someone prays, just because someone reads their Bible, just because they do, does not make them a Christian. He was a tax collector. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many... Look at this. So, so now not only do we have one tax collector, now we have a house full of tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? The religious people. See how they talk? Oh, but before you're quick to judge them, how do you look at sinners? How quick are you to degrade them or put them down? <coughs> Shame on the church. For pointing their finger 
at other communities that aren't of faith and treat them like they're scum. Like they're scum. No. Look what Jesus was doing. He was sitting down with them. He went into their home. And listen, before you get too confused, remember I said, don't let the devil teach you theology. Because people use that as an excuse. Oh, I'm going to go to the club tonight. You see, they need Jesus. And I'm just going to go shuck and jive with them. (laughs) Have a few shots with them. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Do you know how many people used to try to witness to me at the bar? Yes! And a gay bar at that. What? What kind of craziness? I'm going in to buy my drugs and you got your Bible laid right out on the table. What? Oh, well, you know, Jesus would do the same thing. No! (laughs) Don't get confused. Yes, we're to be among them, but we're not to be like them. Just because Jesus was sitting there didn't make him a sinner. He knew who he was. He wasn't swayed, swayed by their pool and their desires. He was among them, and you know what he did when he was among them? He talked about God. He lifted up the truth of repentance. And these people, they were hearing for the first time of salvation. There's something different about this Jesus. What is he talking about? The other priests wouldn't come sit down here with us. They just condemn us. They just put us down. But Jesus didn't come to condemn you all. He came to save. And do you know that the only judgment that should be going on in the church is judging each other? Lest you allow the devil to teach you theology and say, well, the Bible says you're never to judge. The devil is a liar. You don't judge the lost. Oh, but you judge the Christian who is sitting here saying, I'm a Christian and living like a sinner. No, no, those are the people you judge. Those are the people that you say, wait a minute, your life does not line up with the truth of God's word. So don't call yourself a Christian. Don't call yourself a Christian because you're making a mockery of our Savior. See, see, we can't hold that type of, of judgment to the world. And the Bible says that the world already stands judged. And Jesus understood that the lost are, still, are standing in judgment. So he came to deliver them, to let them know who he was. Because when he comes again, Oh, he's not coming like a little baby. Oh, he's coming on horses. (laughs) He's coming to gather up those who belong to him and the rest of everyone else is going to endure his wrath and judgment. So Jesus was sitting there having dinner and the religious people walk in. What is he doing with the scum? (laughs) When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Isn't that interesting? 
And you don't see the next portion. The sinners got angry and wanted to kill Jesus because he called them sinners. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're in my house and you're disrespecting me. No, you don't see that. You get what I'm saying? He's sitting there among them. They're eating. They're talking. The, the, the high priest, the priests come in and say, what are you doing among, what is he doing among the scum? And in return, Jesus basically agrees with them. Yes, they're sinners. They're scum. But they know they are. And I'm here for them. I've come to heal them. You? You think you're all that in the bag of chips. And like he tells them multiple times. But you're not the devil. Your father's the devil. Once when John once when John's disciple and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. And understand what's happening here as we're wrapping up on this chapter. Religious people always go back to religious works. Well, why aren't you fasting? What, what about the Sabbath? What about this? What about that? <laughs> Listen, you know who you're talking to when they bring up the works. Oh, you're eating that? Oh, that's unholy. What, you're not worshiping on this day? Oh, that's unholy. What? You're not doing this and you're not doing that? Oh, that's unholy. <laughs> that's the devil. Charming you with beads and, and I idols. <coughs> and Jesus deals with it. Look at what he says here. Yes, now as Christians we fast and we understand the importance of fasting. But when, you're, when you fast, keep it to yourself unless it's a corporate fast that I call. Ain't nobody want to hear, oh, I've been fasting for three weeks. Oh, 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 oh. And then the crazy thing is when people do that, they tell you how hungry, oh, and all of a sudden it's all about, oh, oh, look what I'm going without. Who cares? Your fast is for yourself. That's what I'm going to start saying. So when I say it, know what's in love, Michelle. <laughs> and But I'm being serious. Because God has got a hold of my heart and said, you know what? <clears throat> Stop treating them with kid gloves. Because they've been sitting around long enough. Either they're going to start living or throw them out. 
I'm being so serious, you all. And you can still come for family dinner. <laughs> but we've got to get over where we've been as a fellowship. Because we want new people added to our numbers. And how are the new going to come in and keep looking at the old going and hearing how you live and how you talk, how you're in right standing when you're in front of me. <laughs> but as soon as I'm not around, and why are you living that way in front of me? I would rather you act a mess and a fool in front of me because I'm not Jesus. And your spiritual works and your spiritual this and your spiritual that, I am not impressed with you. Especially when I see no repentance in your life. No truth in your life. You're just about as enslaved and insecure as you were 10 years, 20 years, 18 months ago. <laughs> and there should be something different in you. These kids sitting in this room, how sad they come every Sunday. And they walk out with you the same way you walked in. Just about as nasty as you want to be. How sad! Because then we're just turning out another level of generation that just mocks God. Oh, whatever. Who needs him? Oh, they're going to need him when they take their last breath. And how sad when you stand before God and have to give an account to how you've tripped people up because of the way you lived your life. Oh, don't let that passage roll off your tongue. You trip up one who is seeking after God. And Jesus says it's best that you tie a heavy stone around your neck and throw yourself in the lake. Because when he gets a hold of you. Oh, but we don't want to know Jesus that way. No, just tell me how much he loves me. Just make him out just to be this weird, mystical, long-haired freak. Hugs and muffins for everyone. Come, come. Have your fill. That is not Jesus. These people were questioning him. You're making about religion. And do you see how intimate he made it while I'm still here? He's talking about himself here. Don't forget, when he, when he uses these illustrations, he's pointing to himself. While I'm still here, there's no need for them to fast. Oh, but I'm going to be taken away. Then they'll fast. Oh, we should be fasting. Because fasting strengthens your spiritual life. There's spiritual disciplines in which Christians ought to be disciplined in. If you're lacking in your spiritual Christian life, it's because you're missing out on spiritual disciplines. There's a new way to live, you all. All right, let's get through this. One Sabbath day. Oh, here we go. The Sabbath. As Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees... <laughs> oh, Jesus. Said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read the Scriptures? Look how that's a slap in their face because these men took pride in all of the scriptures that they knew. And they made sure everyone knew, look how educated we are in scripture. You're not. 
And then Jesus calls them out. <laughs> Haven't you read the scriptures? What David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went to the house of God during the days while Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, look at this, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the next time someone is telling you about the Sabbath, I want you to look at them and say, Devil, you're not teaching me about my theology. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Come on. Come on. We gotta wake up. Jesus went to the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. He healed the man's hand. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of me. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. Oh, the religious people. Oh, no, no, no. You backed them into a corner. They got nothing to say. Nothing to say. Because they know we're trapped now. Because everyone's listening. Realize when he was doing this, there was other people around. He was exposing them. He looked around at them. Look at this. This is Jesus. Angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. What is this crime, you all? What is his crime? He freely was given himself, calling sinners to repentance, to be restored to God. He was exposing the religious people who were enslaving God's people. And they were him dead. Don't think that the people on the outside, or even people, religious people, sitting among are in love with Jesus. They're not. But that shouldn't detour us from still talking about him and living for him. Because our hope is in Christ and if they hated him, they're going to hate us. But there is a way to live, you all. And it's as under Christ. Go to Psalm chapter 36. And we are wrapping up. But real quick, the book of Psalms, I'm going to break it down for you. These notes are going to be within the notes. So we have an understanding of this book. So again, this commentary is from the Bill Bright Discovery Bible. What is the purpose of this book? 
It is to provide Israel with a collection of songs for worship that are, are appropriate for a variety of situations. So in this book, as we're reading through songs, how are we going to discover God? The songs are a poetic prism revealing the character of God in a seemingly limitless array of attributes. Three of the most significant attributes of God's character are in the Psalms. One, we're going to see his worthiness. The modern English word worship derives from the old English word worth-ship. That is, worship is a matter of proclaiming the worth of the person who is worshipped. The psalmist did this by recounting their experiences with God. For example, Psalms 18 verse 3 says, I call on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. And recounting what God has done for him, the psalmist was led to declare God worthy of praise. As entire congregations recite the psalms in worship, they affirm for themselves the psalmist proclamations of God's worthiness. God's worthiness is the grandest theme in the book of Psalms. The next one is eminence. We know something of how worthy God truly is because he demonstrates his character to us in ways that we can understand. God is close to us, eminent, and therefore worthy to be praised. He goes everywhere we go. He refuses to allow us to cover up our sins. He remains with us even when we do sin. He guards us while we sleep, and he knows about our broken hearts. God is big enough for our greatest needs and personal enough to care. And then finally, glory. The Apostle Paul gives us one of the best descriptions of the glory of God in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. Metaphorically, to stand in the presence of the glory of God would be like standing on the surface of the sun. Such glory consumes everything that it approaches. The psalmist recognized that God's glory was greater than the heavens and earth that he deserves to be glorified, and that the universe speaks of his glory. God is worthy to be praised because his glory exceeds all other glory. So how are you going to grow through the book of Psalms? The Psalms are quoted or referenced more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. It is a treasure of timeless themes for the follower of Christ, for difficulties and dependence. It is not the kind of difficulties we have that cause us to flee to the Psalms. It is their intensity. In the Psalms, we find people in life or death situations, and our own circumstances can seem equally, equally seriously at times. The psalmist calls out to God in the Psalms and most emotional, I'm sorry, plainness and emotional terms, giving us permission to do likewise. Our cries for help do not inform God of our need. They inform us of our need for God. And then you're going to learn about public praise. On one occasion, David called out to God, Save me so I can praise you publicly at Jerusalem's gates. Another time he reasoned with God, What will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? And again, then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. Again and again, the psalmist stressed the central place of public praise in the life of a believer. And then finally, gratitude. 
the psalmist expressed heartfelt thankfulness for a wide range of God's gifts, for guidance, for strength, for victory over enemies, for comfort amid trials, and for forgiveness from sin. The psalms teach that a relationship with God is filled with benefits for the believer and that it is fitting to express thanks for those benefits. As Christians, our prayers should overflow with expressions of gratitude to God. And then some of the facts about this book, the authors. King David wrote 73 psalms. Asaph, a priest, wrote 12. The sons or descendants of Korah wrote 9. Solomon wrote 2. And Moses, Haman, and Ethan each wrote 1. And 51 psalms are anonymous. And who was it written to? Remember, it was a hymn book of Israel. The Psalms generally were written for the worshiping community of Israel. And what about the dates that it was written? The dates of various Psalms correlate with the dates of their authors, beginning with Moses. The Psalms were collected, arranged, and rearranged over centuries. And then finally, at the form around the 3rd century BC, about 250 years after Israel returned from exile. And then the setting... The setting of the Psalms is life itself. They flow out of a personal experience of those who wrote them. Psalm 36 is where we're at. The book of Psalms may encourage you to look up as you're facing trials. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or do good. They lie awake at night, hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good. Look at this. They make no attempt to turn from evil. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike. Oh Lord, how precious is your unfailing love, O oh God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the life by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Don't let the proud trample me or the wicked push me around. Look, those who do evil have fallen. They are thrown down never to rise again. Wow. It gives this incredible picture of the sinful heart. And then he turns it straight to the splendor of God. Go to Proverbs chapter 10, just two verses, and then we're out of here. In the book of Wisdom. A wise child brings joy to a father. A foolish child brings grief to a mother. Tainted wealth has no lasting value. 
but right living can save your life. Right living can save your life, you all. I know it's a lot today. God, I really hope and I pray that we would awaken to truth, you all. Like sin is not to be your master. If you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then yes, it is your master. And you will serve it all the days of your life. And it will drag you to the depths of despair and darkness and finally to judgment and wrath. So have your fill of it. Enjoy it. But if you're calling yourself a Christian, you're saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He he was raised from the dead. I am forgiven of my sins. I'm no longer identifying as a sinner because now my position is in Christ. And yet though I may sin, I'm not actively pursuing it. And when I do sin, I'm going to be quick to repent and be restored to my Father, to my Abba, to my Daddy. Because of His great love for me, I can live. And I can have hope that I don't, won't endure His wrath. Because I've already been embraced by His love. You see, that's Jesus, you all. I'm going to close this with this song. And then I'll close this in prayer.